Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen? Amen. Isaiah chapter 33, and I would like to start with verse number 20 today. The Bible states these words, Look upon Zion, the city of our solemnities. Thine eyes shall see Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Not one of the stakes thereof shall ever be removed, neither shall any of the cords thereof be broken. But there the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers and streams, wherein shall go no galley with oars, neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. For the Lord is our judge, the Lord is our lawgiver, the Lord is our king, he will save us. Thy tacklings are loose, they could not well straighten, strengthen rather their mass, they could not spread the sail. Then is the prey of a great spoil divided. The lame take the prey. Amen. For a little while this morning, I would like to minister along this line. And uh, I close the doors to the back so there would be no wafing of fragrance of the food out here uh, to present a problem. But I would like to minister for a little while along this subject. There is a river. There is a river. Can you say that with me? There is a river. Amen. Let's go to the Lord right now in prayer. Father, I come to you today. I'm needing, Lord Jesus, your help. I need God, your anointing, and your presence, Lord, just to come down and fall, Lord, among this place, Lord, through the ministry of your word. I pray, oh, Lord, anoint our minds, God, our understanding, our ears, God, for hearing. Help us, Lord, today to engage, Lord Jesus, in your word, your precious book. Let it find a lodging place, God, in our hearts, God. Let it guide us and strengthen us and correct us, God, that it is so capable, Lord, of doing. God bless us now, Jesus, in this place as we bless you. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray and the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. There is a river. As it were, early civilizations targeted bodies of water, banks of rivers uh, to use as settlements. Even in the early history of our Americas, many times whenever they were developing and going east, they were looking for oftentimes bodies of waters to build their homes by and strategically uh, rear and raise a family by. And some of the earliest civilizations of the world uh, were oftentimes found near or by bodies of water, sometimes located right upon them. And many of these people chose these strategic spots because uh, the bodies of water could be used as a means of travel. Uh, they could be used as a means of trade. If a city was going to establish itself by a body of water, then it could perhaps have greater success than those that were not. Uh, although they would just be starting and be building and forming their city, sometimes they could catapult themselves and being very successful and becoming very large and stable faster than other cities that did not locate themselves by bodies of water because they could use the water for import and use the water for export of goods. They could be uh, commerce giants in just a little while because of the water, but living near the water, the banks of a river was not only only beneficial economically. Not only did it help uh, the finance and the economics of the city or town that may have been newly uh, established, or for that matter, have been there now for a long time, but it was also defensively benefiting to a city or a town to be located near a body of water. Uh, cities could position themselves uh, in, 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 in reference to a body of wa water in so much so that that existing body of water could almost be used as uh, the old moats that you see around castles and around cities that uh, moat nothing more but being a means of defense. They could locate their city and build up 
all of their precious structures in such a way an existing body of water could almost uh, serve as a moat, a supply line of defense for their town and their community and their families. But also the significance of having water near your city or being in your city built upon a body of water where that would run through your city is that ancient cities needed water close at hand, especially during a time of battle especially during a time of siege. A siege was a, a little bit different than any ordinary battle. Uh, the, the opposing army would come against the city or town and, and they would just basically encamp around about that city. They would encamp around about that town wishing to draw the people out of there by certain means. They sometimes would build, these are just old ways of weapons, but they would build what was known as ramparts and they would build battling rams and catapults and ladders that could scale the high walls that many of the towns were surrounded by. It was during a siege that that camp, that, that enemy that was around about the city they would control everything that went into the city and anything that came out of the city. They wanted to be in control. And as a result of that, the adversary would guess that there's only a limited supply of food that resides inside those walls. There's only so much food that they have. And if we can stay here long enough, sit here long enough, endure long enough, uh, perhaps they will run out of food. But there was a greater consideration than just food and that was their water supply. Yeah, you can go without food for many days, but you can't go without water for very long. And so the thing that they would try to do is dam up a water supply if it was entering into the city, but you can understand them the advantage that a city or town would have over another if that city and town was built upon near or by or had some type of water that was flowing through it, around it, or near unto it. They had a greater advantage of waiting out a siege, of waiting out an attack of their adversary than a city that did not have any water, that did not have no source of water supply. Amen. So the adversary knew the most notable tactic that I have, the most effective tactic, even greater than my rampart, greater than my catapult, greater than my ladders that are scattered the city walls my greatest benefit on them is if I can shut down the water supply to the city but if I can shut down the water supply to the city it won't be long that its inhabitants will be straggling out of the town and they'll be surrendering because they cannot survive without a water supply they cannot survive without a source of fluids coming into their town and their city. And so throughout even biblical history, we see and we read of various different cities and towns. And you'll note most of the time that these cities and towns had a source of water. The city of Jericho had the Jordan. The city of Babylon had the great Euphrates River. The city of Nineveh had the river of Tigris. Thebes of Egypt had the Nile River. Rome had the Tiber River. But whenever we read in Isaiah 33, Jerusalem had no natural water source to speak of. She was one of the few cities, even in biblical history, that was not built near, upon, or nigh a river. Someone say amen. The only water source that she had of was that which a king by the name of Hezekiah had built during his time and reign. He built an aqueduct system. He built an underground tunnel which brought water supposedly secretly for some 1,777 feet through solid rock from a spring Gihon over in the distance. And through that aqueduct system of solid rock, there would be some water that would be brought into the pool of Salome that was in Jerusalem but it was just a little stream it was just a little product of water and surely it would have not supplied what was necessary or needful being under a siege of attack by the enemy someone say amen I'll preach it before it's all said and done 
As a matter of fact, even more recent days that I just read of this past week in the year 2011 of June 13, in the Jerusalem Post, there was a heading that stated, beneath Jerusalem, a river runs deep. If I may share just a few of the excerpts from that article, it said excavators were digging for a new railway station deep under the surface of central Jerusalem. And they discovered what geologists say is the largest underground river ever found in Israel. A man says in terms of Israel, it's the longest underground stream that we have ever seen. It is kind of a canyon that has been cut by the stream of the water over a long period of time. He says maybe even millions, which we know that wouldn't be possible, but evidently several, several, several years. He says this is one of the still active streams in terms of streams that has formed a a cave that has a river that is still active in it, which is not very common. In other words, there's a lot of times they find caves and canyons, but there's usually no more a river or water there. He says, but this one still has a river that is rushing inside of it. And he says the canyons are very deep. There's waterfalls that's underneath there for scientists to study. But here is the problem. They're still in that river. Doesn't seem to be a significant amount of the precious fluid in order to affect, amen, the balance of the parched land of Jerusalem, that the water that they need. So in biblical times, there was Hezekiah with his aqueduct system and yet it would not produce the amount of water that Jerusalem needed in its totality. Modern day science finds a big river that's flowing underneath the city of Jerusalem and yet scientists still yet today say that's not enough to balance out the deficiency of what Jerusalem needs concerning water. It was an unseen river that was flowing underneath Jerusalem, even maybe all the way back to the times of Hezekiah, even when Isaiah wrote that I read to you today. Amen. But it's not enough to balance the shortage that is in Jerusalem. But I've come to rise on this Sunday morning because I believe Isaiah and the psalmist knew another unseen river whose water supply could fully establish and take care of Jerusalem in their day past and present today. Someone say amen. Amen. If I can go back to a verse of scripture I used a few weeks ago. The Bible says in Psalms 46 starting with verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear, though the earth be removed, though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. There is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God God shall help her and that right early what the psalmist is declaring it's writing during the same time that Isaiah is writing the writing during a period of time that Jerusalem is under siege the right during a period of time when her adversaries are planted all around her and her adversaries have in their mind's eye here is a city that's not located near water here is a city that is not upon a river she's going to be easy prey she's going to be easily overtaken but they had a river Someone shout hallelujah. They had a river that the adversary knew not of. In other words, the psalmist is explaining, although there's chaos all around Jerusalem, although there's threatenings all around Jerusalem, although the sea is roaring, there is still a river that's making glad the city of God. Someone say yes. David spoke of it. 
He said, there's a river. It's making glad the city of God, which was Jerusalem. But he goes on to say, and also the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. This, this river makes the city comfortable. It makes the city protected. It makes the city have the advantage. But it also makes the tabernacle joyful. It makes the tabernacle well thought of. There is a river today. Just as unseen as that which was discovered in Jerusalem, there is a river today that still flows in Jerusalem, that still flows in the church, many times unseen. But I'm here to declare it's still there, and it's still providing, and it's still protecting. That river, David said, and Isaiah said, that river was God. And I'm to declare today, just as all the other cities were near a body of water and near a river bank and near some type of water source, I'm telling you, if you're a part of the church, you're still near a river bank. You're still near a water source. You're still near a place that can protect, a place that can supply, a place that can bring in and take out. You still got a river. There's a river of God. The psalmist said God is in the midst of it. He said God's in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her. And that right early. I'm here today to tell us that the church isn't going to be moved. The church isn't going down. No, she's going to get her help from the river. She's going to get her source of strength from the river because God is in the midst of her. Even when we're under siege, even when we're bunkered down, even when the food supply is going low, there is still a river. God's going to be her aid. He is the river. He is the living water. He is the God who the psalmist said who is powerful enough to quell the uproar of the nations simply by raising his voice. There is a river. The scene in Isaiah, the scene in Isaiah 33 centers around the city of Jerusalem. The climate, the condition at this time. Isaiah was a prophet during the years of Hezekiah. Amen. The condition at this time was that the nation of Assyria was beginning to sweep across the land. And as they were sweeping, they were conquering nation after nation, city after city, town after town. And because of the threat of Assyria at the time of the writing of Isaiah, most of the Jews that were even living in Judea had already relocated themselves to Jerusalem because they thought it might afford the greatest security for them. And it seemed like anywhere that Assyria left her tracks, they were tracks of conquering and overcoming every city and every town. But now Assyria is surrounding Jerusalem. Its armies are around about Jerusalem. And Brother Terry McGee, with all credible reasoning, Jerusalem as a city, in comparison to others, was handicapped because she lacked a notable seen river. By all means of observation, Jerusalem would never reach the level of commerce that the other cities would have reached because she had no river. She would have no great export. She would have no great import into her city. 
furthermore, Jerusalem, because she had no seen river, she was there unprotected. Jerusalem was seen through the eyes of all as being a vulnerable city. Furthermore, Jerusalem, because there not being any seen river, they noted in their minds and on their charts that this is a city that has no duration. She can't endure. It's not going to be a very long siege here because she doesn't have a water supply. And so with almost a smirk upon their face and downturned noses, they look at Jerusalem and thought she's going to be easy prey. The city of God, as David told it, she's going to be easy to overtake. But Isaiah, in chapter 9, 29, had already pronounced a woe on Jerusalem. That there would be sieges laid against her. That she would come under attack. And then to follow that up in verse, in chapter 31, he spoke how that Jerusalem, though, would be preserved. You're going to come under attack you're going to be laying under a siege, but you shall be preserved. Amen. You're going to be preserved in spite of the sieges. Now, the Bible's a neat thing. Sometimes we get caught up in the idea that the Bible is just some chronological record, and we think that one chapter just leads to the next chapter, and they're all just in sync, and it's just like reading the life from front to back, but that's not the Bible. Bible has many pieces and it isn't always put together in chronological order because whenever you, see, you read of Isaiah 33 that has all taken place during the same time that the psalmist is writing Psalms 46 and all that is still taking place during the same time of 2 Kings wherever it speaks of Hezekiah because here is Isaiah he prophesies during the rule and reign of Hezekiah and the psalmist gives an account of all that in Psalms 46 so all these things are knitted and tied together and so whenever we read what's going on in 2 Kings 18, the Bible begins to speak in verse 33, and this is the king of Assyria and some of the servants that are speaking unto King Hezekiah, and they're, they're, they're really breathing some threatenings. They're trying to make Jerusalem feel intimidated because of their past success with other nations. And they say, Hath any of the gods of the nations delivered at all his land out of the hand of the king of Syria? In other words, we've been a lot of places. We've overcome already a lot of cities. There's nations that are right here within the palm of our hand. And they all said they had gods too. But none of their gods rose in the time of great, uh, great havoc and delivered them. So who are you to think that your God's going to be anything better? <laughs> they, they, and they speak in verse 34. They begin to speak of some of those particular gods. Amen. That were of these different nations and cities. And, and they speak that none of them had delivered uh, them themselves out of the king of Assyria. And he states in verse 35, who are they among all the gods of the countries that have delivered their country out of mine hand? That the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. I mean, to some of these different towns and cities, yeah, their gods were just as noble as what you think your God is. Their gods they considered to be just as strong and powerful as you revere your God. But the nations are in the palm of our hands. What's going to keep your city and town from the palm of our hand as well? And I can see them just imagine in the back of their mind, this is even going to be easier because you don't have a river. <laughs> and so you have all these other gods that were the makings of men's hands of wood and of stone and they could not deliver their cities or their nations from the king of Syria all these other man-made gods whenever the king of Assyria and Assyria overtook these cities and nations the Bible you can read of it in 2 Kings that they would take these gods of wood and they would take these gods of stone and they would consume them and throw them in the fire and they would just be dissolved Even back in Isaiah 33, 
before the scripture reading that I read to you, the Bible states these words because this is all pieced together with 2 Kings 18 and 19 and Isaiah 33. The writer here in Isaiah is speaking to those that are against Jerusalem, to these that are thinking this is gonna be easy, this isn't gonna be no problem at all. And they say to them, thine heart shall meditate terror. That's what they were doing. They're thinking, man, this is gonna be good. We got the upper hand where this is how we're gonna do it. This is how long it's gonna take and the job's gonna be done. And the writer Isaiah saying, where's your scribe? Is he taking note of all this? Is he writing all this down about what you're gonna do, how bad you are, and how you're gonna come up with the, uh, where, where, where is the receiver? Where is, where is the he that counteth the tower? See, there'd be a man that would go around the city because those towers were places of strongholds. That, that's where you had your weaponry. That's where you had your artillery. And before you, they went into battle, they'd have a man walk around the city. There's one tower, there's two towers. He was just seeing what they're really up against because they're devising their plan. He said, where's that man that's counting the towers so they know how they're going to strike, when they're going to strike? Where's your scribe? Is he getting all this written down? Oh, God. So the king of Assyria has been compiling his battle plan. He, he's looking at all this. But whenever Isaiah is asking him, where's all these men that's devising this? He turns to verse number 20 that I read in your hearing today. He says, while you're counting all the towers, and as you're devising all your plan, he said, look upon Zion. He says, your eyes shall see Jerusalem. Look now, a quiet habitation. In other words, you're breathing your threatenings. You have your long history of defeats that's behind you that you gave against every other nation and every other God. You would think somebody with that type of clout coming against a city that had no river, they'd be there quivering. There'd be an uproar. Well, what are we gonna do? Let's get ourselves together. There'd just be chaos. He said, but look at Jerusalem, that quiet habitation. Jerusalem's not feeling intimidated. Jerusalem's not saying, woe is me, what are we going to do? There's not fear struck in the heart of Jerusalem because although they can't see a river, Jerusalem understands there is an unseen river that makes glad our city. She's not in unrest. She's at peace. She's a quiet habitation. And that king of Assyria is going to attack Jerusalem. He was sure, no doubt in his mind, a lack of water is going to draw them out. A lack of water is going to draw them out and they're going to surrender. But unknown to the king of Assyria, Jerusalem had a source of water because there was a river. And if they think they're going to treat our God as they treat it of every other God, if they think they're going to get their hands on our God as they got their hands on every other God, those gods of wood and stone that they could throw in the fire, they would be consumed. They're going to have a hard problem grabbing a hold of the river and throwing it into the fire and getting the same type of outcome. Woo! Because whenever you throw the river in the fire, the fire doesn't affect the river. The fire doesn't affect the water. It's like the three Hebrew boys. They come up, no smell of smoke upon them. Neither a hair of their body's been singed. Why? Because there was a fourth man in the fire like in the son of a God. There was a river. Isaiah says, he said, look at Jerusalem. She's a quiet habitation. She's a tabernacle that shall not be taken down. Her stakes are firm. Her cords are there. Ever they shall be, they shall not be broken. Why? Because there's a river. Whew. I know you all boys thinking otherwise, but there's a river. She's not going to be taken down. She's not going to be removed. She's not going to be broken. Why? He says, but there the glorious Lord will be unto us, a place of broad rivers and streams. Now look now. Wherein shall go no galley with oars? Neither shall gallant ship pass thereby. 
said, there's a river in Jerusalem, but there's no ship of yours that's going to travel on this river. There's no battling ship that's going to come up on this river. It's an unseen river, but mark well, there's a river. In other words, the presence of God was unlike any other river, amen, that other cities were built upon. God's presence gave them the same advantages of having a river, but it took away the disadvantages of having a natural river. Because the natural river that the cities had, sometimes boat and sea-bearing vessels could float upon and go to the city. He says, but with God, you still have the supply, you still have everything you need, but you don't have the disadvantages of having a river. I gotta preach that to somebody in this house. You might have a so-called river outside of this assembly, but you don't have a river like Jerusalem does. You don't have a you don't have a river like the church does because the river that we have gives all the advantages and it squelches the disadvantages of having a river. So you're not. You're not going to find ship. You're not going to find vessel found upon these waters because we have a river that's unseen. You can't lay your finger on. Amen. He goes on to describe that God, which was the river. Note this. Note this concerning their God, which was the river in verse 22. He says, for the Lord is our judge. Everybody say judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. Everybody say lawgiver. The Lord is our king. Everybody say king. He will save. This river, which is God, is our judge, our lawgiver, and our king. How many branches are in our modern day government? Three. There's the judicial system that consists of the Supreme Court. In the lower courts, what are those? Judges. There is the legislative system, our Congress, which is composed of our Senate and House of Representatives. What is the responsibility? Amen. The making, if you will, of laws. But then there is the executive branch of our government, which for the most part consists of our president. But in the government of the river, in the government of God, you have the judge, the judicial branch. You have the lawgiver, the legislative branch. You have the king, the executive branch. But they're all one and the same. The Lord makes the laws. He interprets the laws. And he enforces the law. We have a self, a river. Look now, let's go back. I know we're hopping back and forth. Psalms, Isaiah, Kings. They're all together. Second Kings 19. Now look. This is the voice of the Lord concerning for the defense of Jerusalem against the king of Assyria. He says, in 2 Kings 19, verse 34, he says, for I will defend. God says, I'll defend the city to save it for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And in verse 35, and it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord, look at this. They're not on a river. They're under siege. But the angel of the Lord goes out and it smotes the camp of the Assyrians and a hundred, four score, and five thousand. Whew. That's a lot of people. Four scores, scores 20. Four times 20, that's what, 80? 185,000. He slew 185,000, the angel of the Lord did. And when they arose early in the morning, those of the city and whoever may have been left, they were all dead corpse. I see the scribe getting back his notebook back out from the day prior. <laughs> you know, they said that we would do that. And there's one, two, three, one, 185,000 dead during the night. What's going on? They were supposed to have been easy prey. Well, 
what's going on? They were supposed to have been easier than any other nation that we overtook that resided on the banks of a river. Scribe, mark it down for Jerusalem. There is a river. That makes glad its city and the holy habitation of the tabernacle. What are you talking about? How has the church existed from the beginning of Acts when God first birthed it? Because all along the days of our persecution, of there being martyrs in the kingdom and people being slain, how has she existed? I tell you how. Because there's always been an unseen river. Whenever the adversaries overcome every other movement, there was something though that was established on an unseen river. And we are who we are today. Today, and we still exist as we exist today from 33 AD even to now because the city of God and the church does have a river against all other opinions there is a river alright oh God the Bible speaks to us of Ezekiel having a vision in his book he had a vision The Bible says that he was brought to the doorware of the house of God. He was brought to the door of the house of God. And Isaiah, Ezekiel rather, has taken all this in. And he said, issued out from underneath the threshold of the house of God were waters. Issued forth out from the house of God, the temple of God, were waters. And there was a man there that took me by the hand and he led me a thousand cubits and the waters were to my ankles. He measured it and he took me another thousand cubits and he took me and the waters were to my knees. And he took me another thousand cubits, this water that's coming from the house of God and he measured and it was water to my loins. And he went another thousand cubits, waters are gushing out from the house of God and he took a measurement and lo and behold he said it was a river my God he said what I first just assumed just to be waters coming from the house of God as we got further in this thing this just wasn't a cup of water this just wasn't a pool of water this was a river a river to swim in Oh, someone just needs to go just a little further. You think it's just ankle deep. You just think it's to your loins. But I'm quite contrary to that today. It's a river flowing from the house of God. Waters to swim, yes. That's what he said, waters to swim in. Ezekiel even said it. He said it's a river that I could not pass over. Waters to swim, and he reiterated again, it was a river that I could not pass over. And it came from underneath the threshold. That was the house of God, the temple. And what does Isaiah Isaiah say back in Isaiah 33? He spoke to us these words. In Isaiah 33, I can find it again. Whenever he spoke about Jerusalem, a quiet habitation, the tabernacle that shall not be taken, how there would be cords not broken. In verse 21, he says, but there, there where? There at Jerusalem, there at the house of God, the glorious Lord will be unto us a place of broad rivers. The psalmist said, it would make glad, that river would make glad the city of God and the holy place of the tabernacle. Now notice, if you look at Ezekiel 47, the church, Jerusalem has a river, folks. Archaeology says she's not built near a river. Oh, if they only knew what I knew. There's a river. In so much... Look now, you look at the scriptures. If you read chapter 47, and even just the first five verses or so, six or seven, or at least through verse 12, just read it all, it's great. Yeah, Ezekiel 47, but read them all. Don't you just let them read them all. He's, he's been on this journey, ankle deep, knee deep, loins, waters to swim. This is a river. Can't pass it, can't cross over it. Bob says that that man took him back to the shore from whence he came. And he gets back to the shore, and you know what the Bible says? He says, I see trees. 
all on the river bank. In other words, Ezekiel sharing with us something that didn't seemingly, that he didn't catch or perhaps was not even there when he first started this journey. Before the water started gushing from the house of God. He goes back to where he started and he says, there is trees on the bank of the river. Because the characteristic of the river is this. It brings life to everything it comes in contact with. And where there were no trees established before, after the rivers touched that, there's some life that's branching out. There's many trees where there was no trees before. You keep on reading through the scripture and it seems to continuously declare there in Ezekiel 37 that the river brought life to what was a desolate land. It wasn't because of the ingenuity of man. It was because of the effectiveness of the river. Now, I'm not a geologist. I'm not an archaeologist. I'm not even a scientist. However, a base definition of a river is this. A river is a channel or ravine that holds water. A channel or ravine that holds water. If I can state it even a little differently, a river, and this is me just taking the basic definition, kind of elaborating here a little bit on it. A river is just a valley, canyon, or recess spot filled with life-supporting, propagating substance. And if you remove the aspect of the life substance, the water, you're left with nothing but a canyon, a recess, or a valley. I was looking and peering at some of those gorgeous pictures that Brother and Sister DePriest had up of the Grand Canyon as they're away, just gorgeous. That deep, deep ravine canyon. That according to science years ago, there was a river. And we sat there in all today and we looked down there and look at that deep canyon, that recess, may even term it a valley. But in essence, it's just a dry riverbed. Bishop, whenever I remove the life propagating, giving source of substance from my life, I find myself oftentimes in that recess, in that canyon. Call it, if you will, a valley. Term it all you want to, but have had him the river, river flow there before. I don't want to call it a valley. I don't want to call it a canyon. I still want to call it a riverbed. What are you saying? I think some of us has become somewhat detached with Jerusalem and with the church and we've taken in the popular opinion of the adversary saying they don't have a river. They don't have no water source. They don't have no substance. And if he contend for you to believe that in your mind, you know what you'll find yourself in? You'll find yourself in a valley. You'll find yourself in a recess. You'll find yourself in a canyon. But I've come to declare today and you need to get this in your mind if you get anything. There is a river that there is a river in your life. He spoke of it. Brother Shepherd spoke of it last week. God said you can come unto me and I'll put inside of you a river of living water that's springing up to everlasting life. I don't have to walk through a valley. All I need is for that water to flow in this riverbed. There's a river. Somebody needs to take their valley and make it the channel for the river. Somebody needs to take their recess and their canyon and make it the channel for the river. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Give me maybe 10 more minutes. There's some food back there. It's just not quite warm yet. 
Just feel it. Genesis 2 and verse number 10. So Jerusalem may be known as, as the city that had no natural river, but she had, always had a river. Genesis 2.10, in the book of beginnings, the Bible speaks there of Adam being set in the garden that was east of Eden to keep it, so on and so forth. And spoken of here in Genesis 2.10, the Bible says in a river, I want to say a river, and a river went out of Eden to water the garden. And from thence it parted and became into four heads. And the description further in scripture tells you the names of each of those rivers. And even modern day science have problem finding two of those rivers. They still know the great river Euphrates and uh, no Tigris, but they have problem with the other two rivers. They can't come to an agreement. There's a lot of theories and theories are just that theories. There's a lot of theories about what they may be. But the interesting thing is this. Although there's only a few of those four rivers they can find, they for sure have never found the river that initially came out of Eden. For that matter, scientists all day long can argue over even where the real location of Eden is. They can't really pinpoint that. They can't really put their finger on that. And nor can they really describe where this river came from. Because see, what's happening right here in Genesis is totally against nature. Usually a river feeds into another river that feeds into another river that may feed eventually into the ocean or a large mass of water. But usually always a river has a source rather than just being a source in and of itself. But here in Genesis, here's a river that comes from Eden that has no notable source, yet it supplies four other rivers. It can't be found. It can't be found. It operates different than nature even has rivers not operating today because the pattern of rivers as observed in nature is just the opposite of the way that the Bible describes it. Here is a river in Eden that should have a source, but they can't seem to find the source, nor can they find the river, yet it is supplying four other rivers. Now, a river is usually going to supply another river. It's going to be a tributary to another, but very seldom is it supplying a multitude or being the source of many rivers when it seemingly has no source itself. But there is a river. It flowed from that Eden. It flowed from that paradise. Its purpose was for watering the garden of God. Whew. If Isaiah said the Lord was that place of broad rivers, if Psalmist David said, speaking of the Lord, the Lord is in the midst of her, he shall help her, speaking of the church being the Lord, being the river. I submit today that the river of Eden had a source. The river of Eden was something. And the reason why scientists can't find it, because it was perhaps just as unseen, amen, as that one that was underneath the ground of Jerusalem they just presently found. It had a source. It was more particularly noted, the river of God. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, God. The river, then that issued out of Eden, that they can't find an exact location on. <laughs> but it's feeding other rivers. That's feeding other passages and other water systems. It flowed from Eden. <laughs> It flowed from paradise. Can I say we can trace the river that even flowed from a rock in the wilderness journey. We can follow the river that flowed as living water to the lady of Samaria that was sitting at the well. We can follow the river that flowed in the last day of the day of tabernacles and the feast of John number seven as living water. But the river doesn't stop there. I'm coming to a close, stand with me. Because in Revelations 22, the last book of the Bible, in verse number one, John sees a vision of the new Jerusalem. And if the first Jerusalem was any indication or a basis for the new Jerusalem, which it was, the old Jerusalem had no water source per se. 
But John sees the new Jerusalem and there's an angel there and the Bible says, and he shewed me a pure river. He shewed me a pure river of water of life clear as crystal and look now, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. The river that started in Eden that seemingly had no source nor can be found flowed through the Old Testament. It flowed through the judges. It flowed through the prophets. It flowed through the dark ages. It flowed on the day of Pentecost. It flowed through the martyrdom of the early saints. It flowed through the birth of the church. It flowed through the persecution. And John says, I see someday there's a new Jerusalem coming down. And you know what? That river that was back in paradise is still flowing. Because of that river, someday those have been born again in the water and the spirit. They will return to this earth with the deviation of the kingdoms of this world, breathing their threatenings of siege against the church. And they'll come riding in on their horses with the river. And as they may have still been just as much disbelief as through the ages that Jerusalem, the church, has no water source. Watch out. Because if you just listen quietly, what is it? It's the river coming. It's the river coming. There is a river today. It makes glad the city of God. It makes glad its inhabitants. It makes glad the church. It's not seen necessarily by our foe, but those that are a part of the city knows with certainty of its source and of its power. It protects them. It supplies what needs to come into their life and what needs to be exported out of their life. There is a river. Hallelujah. Can we just bow our heads all across this place today? And somebody lift up their hands and lift up their voice right now to God. Can someone just be thankful? Hallelujah. I feel this presence of the Lord. I feel that river in this place today. What are you staring at in your life this morning? What are you staring at? Do you feel the breathing of the threatenings of your foe? Do you feel the breathing of the threatenings of your adversary? Has he somewhat intimidated you and made you to think that you have no water supply? Do you feel like you're walking through a canyon right now? Do you feel like you're walking through a recess? Do you feel like you're walking through a valley? I'm asking you this morning, if that is you, allow that channel in your life valley whatever you may call it allow that channel amen to be the banks of the river of God and he'll come back in and those dead areas of your life he'll bring life back to those areas that seem to be plucked up twice dead by the roots he'll bring life back to you because that's the nature of the river if you feel vulnerable if you feel unprotected if you feel like you could be overcome don't worry don't fret there is a river of God today that is forming to give you the protection that you need to harness you in the safety of his arms there is a river today it makes me glad Glad to know there is. It should make the church glad. It should make us as people of God glad to know there's a river. That it's lasted eons of time. It was there in the beginning. And John said it's still there in the ending. And it proceeds from the throne of God. Though the seas roar, there's a river in Jerusalem is quiet in her habitation. She's not anxious. Because she knows the source of her comfort. She knows the source of her strength. These altars are open today. If anybody would just... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.